0: chapter ten of the herapath property by j s fletcher this librivox recording is in the public domain mr benjamin halfpenny when barthorpe herapath left his cousin mr tertius and selwood in company with the newly discovered will and walked swiftly out of the house and away from portman square he passed without seeing it a quiet yet smartly appointed Coop Brougham, which came round the corner from Portman Street, and pulled up at the door which Barthop had just quitted. From it at once descended an elderly gentleman, short, stout, and rosy, who bustled up the steps of the Harropoth Mansion, and appeared to fume and fret until his summons was responded to. When the door was opened to him, he bustled inside at the same rate, rapped out the inquiry, "Miss Wynne at home?" Miss Wynne at home, several times, without waiting for a reply, and never ceased in his advance to the door of the study, into which he precipitated himself panting and blowing, as if he had run hard all the way from his original starting point. The three people standing on the hearthrug turned sharply, and two of them uttered cries which betokened pleasure mixed with relief. "'Mr. Halfpenny!' exclaimed Peggy, almost joyfully. "'How good of you to come! "'We had only just spoken. "'We were only just speaking of you,' remarked Mr. Tertius. "'In fact, yes, Mr. Selwood and I were thinking of going round to your offices "'to see if you were in town.' The short, stout and rosy gentleman, who, as soon as he had got well within the room, began to unswathe his neck from a voluminous white silk muffler, now completed his task, and advancing upon Peggy, solemnly kissed her on both cheek, and held her away from him, looked at her, kissed her again, and then patted her on the shoulder. This done, he shook hands solemnly with Mr. Tertius, bowed to Selwood, took off his spectacles, and proceeded to polish them with a highly colored bandana handkerchief which he produced from the tail of his overcoat this operation concluded he restored the spectacles to his nose sat down placed his hands palm downwards on his plump knees and solemnly inspected everybody my dear friends he said in a hushed deep voice my dear good friends this dreadful awful most afflicting news i heard it but three-quarters of an hour ago at the office to which i happened by mere chance to have come up for the day, I immediately ordered out our brougham and drove here to see if I could be of any use. You will command me, my dear friends, in anything that I can do. Not professionally, of course. No, in that respect, you have Mister Barthorpe Herapath. But otherwise, Mister Tertius looked at Peggy. I don't know whether we shan't be glad of Mister Halfpenny's professional services. He said, "The truth is, Halfpenny." We were talking of seeing you professionally when you came in. That's one truth, and another is that a will has been found. Our poor friend's will, of course. God bless me, exclaimed Mr. Halfpenny. A will, our poor friend's will, has been found. But surely Barthorpe, has nephew and solicitor, eh? Huh? Again Mr. Tertius looked at Peggy. I suppose we'd better tell Mr. Halfpenny everything, he remarked. Of course, Halfpenny, you'll understand that as soon as this dreadful affair was discovered and the first arrangements had been made, Barthorpe, as only male relative, began to search for a will. He resented any interference from me and was very rude to me, but when he came here and proposed to examine that safe, I told him at once that I knew of a will and where it was, though I didn't know its terms and i immediately directed him to it and we found it and read it a few minutes ago with the result that barthorpe at once quitted the house you must have passed him in the square god bless us repeated mr halfpenny i judge from that then but you had better show me this document mr tertius at once produced the will and mr halfpenny rising from his chair marched across the room to one of the windows where he solemnly half-chanted every word from start to finish this performance over he carefully and punctiliously folded the document into its original lines replaced it in its envelope and grasping this firmly in his hand resumed his seat and motioned everybody to attention my dear tertius he said oblige me by narrating carefully briefly your recollection of the circumstances under which your signature to this highly important document was obtained and made easily done responded mr tertius one night some months ago when our poor friend was at work here with his secretary a mr frank burchill he called me into the room just as burchill was about to leave he said i want you two to witness my signature to a paper he a moment interrupted mr halfpenny he said, a paper. Did he not say, my will? Not before the two of us. He merely said, a paper. He produced the paper, that paper, which you now hold. He let us see that it was covered with writing. But we did not see what the writing was. He folded it over, laid it, so folded, on that desk, and signed his name. Then we both signed it in the blank spaces which he indicated. I first, then Burchill. He then put it into an envelope, that envelope, and fastened it up. As regards to that part of the proceedings, said Mr. Territus, that is all. Then there was another part, suggested Mr. Halfpenny. Yes, replied Mr. Territus, there was. Burchill then left at once. I, too, was leaving the room when Jacob called me back. When we were alone, he said, that was my will that you just witnessed. Never mind what's in it. I may alter it, or some of it, some day, but I don't think I shall. Now, look here. I'm going to seal this envelope, and I'll show you where I put it when it's sealed. He then sealed the envelope in two places, as you see, and afterwards, in my presence, placed it in a secret drawer, which I'll show to you now. And that done, he said. There, Tertus, you needn't mention that to anybody unless I happen to be taken off suddenly and concluded mr tertius as he motioned mr halfpenny to accompany him to the old bureau i never of course did mention it until half an hour ago mr halfpenny solemnly inspected the secret drawer made no remark upon it and reseated himself now he said this mr frank burchill the other witness he left our old friend some little time ago replied mr Territus, still we have his address on the will said mr halfpenny i shall call on mr Burchill at once as soon as i leave here there is of course no doubt as to the validity of this will you said just now that barthorpe left you as soon as he had seen it now what did barthorpe say about it nothing answered mr tertius he went away without a word rushed away in fact mr halfpenny shook his head with profound solemnity I am not in the least surprised to hear that, he observed. Barthorpe naturally received a great shock. What I am surprised at is the terms of the will. Nothing whatever to Barthorpe, his only male relative, his only brother's only son. Extraordinary, my dear, he continued turning to Peggy. Can you account for this? Do you know of anything, any difference between them, anything at all, which would make your uncle leave his nephew out of his will? "'Nothing,' answered Peggy. "'And I am very troubled about it. "'Does it really mean that I get everything and Barthorpe nothing?' "'That is the precise state of affairs,' answered Mr. Halfpenny. "'And it is all the more surprising when we bear in mind that you two "'are the only relations Jacob Herapath had, "'and that he was a rich man, a very rich man indeed. "'However, he doubtless had his reasons. "'And now as i conclude you desire me to act for you i shall take charge of this will and lock it up in my safe as soon as i return to the office on my way i shall call at mr burchill's address and just have a word with him tertius you had better come with me and yes there's another thing that i should like to have done mr selwood are you engaged on any business no replied selwood who is secretly speculating on the meaning of the morning's strange events. I have nothing to attend to. Then you will go to Mr. Barthorpe Herapath's office in Craven Street, I think, and see him personally, and tell him that Mr. Benjamin Halfpenny is in town, has been acquainted with these matters by Mr. Tertius and Miss Wynn, and would esteem it a favor if he would call upon him before five o'clock. Thank you, Mr. Selwood. Now, Territus, you and I will attend to our business. Left alone, Peggy Wynne suddenly realized that the world had become a vastly different world to what it had seemed a few short hours before. This room into which Jacob Herapath, bustling and busy, would never come again was already a place of dread. Nay, the whole house, in which she had spent so many years of comfort and luxury, suddenly assumed a strange atmosphere of distastefulness. It was true that her uncle had never spent much time in the house. An hour or two in the morning, yes, but by noon he had hurried off to some committee at the House of Commons, and in session time she had never seen him again that day. But he had a trick of running in for a few minutes at intervals during the day. He would come for a cup of tea, sometimes he would contrive to dine at home. Whether he was at home or not, his presence, always alert, masterful, Active seemed to be everywhere in the place. She could scarcely realize that she would never see him again. As she stood looking at his vacant chair, she made an effort to realize what it all really meant to her, and suddenly, for the first time in her life, she felt the meaning of the usually vague term loneliness. In all practical essentials, she was absolutely alone. So far as she knew, she had no relations in the world but Barthorpe Herapath. And there was something, something shadowy and undefinable about Barthorpe, which she neither liked nor trusted. Moreover, she had caught a glimpse of Barthorpe's face as he turned from looking at the will and hurried away, and what she had seen had given her a strange feeling of fear and discomfort. Barthorpe, she knew, was not the sort of man to be crossed or thwarted or balked of his will. And now supposing barthorpe should begin to hate me because all the money is mine she thought then-why then-i should have no one-no one of my own flesh and blood anyway of course there's mr tertius but i must see barthorpe i must tell him that i shall insist on sharing if it is all mine i can do that and yet why didn't uncle jacob divide it why did he leave barthorpe nothing still pondering sadly over these and kindred subjects Peggy went upstairs to a parlor of her own, a room in which she did as she liked and made into a den after her own taste. There, while the November afternoon deepened in shadow, she sat and thought still more deeply, and she was still plunged in thought when Kitteridge came softly into the room and presented a card. Peggy took it from the butler's salver and glanced half carelessly at it then she looked at kitteridge with some concern mr burchill she said here no miss answered kitteridge mr burchill desired me to present his most respectful sympathy and to say that if he could be of any service to you or to the family he begged that you would command him his address is on this card miss very kind of him murmured peggy and laid the card aside on her writing table when Kitteridge had gone, she picked it up and looked at it again. Burchill, she had been thinking of him only a few minutes before the butler's entrance, thinking a good deal, and her thoughts had been disquieted and unhappy. Burchill was the last man in the world that she wished to have anything to do with, and the fact that his name appeared on Jacob Herapath's will had disturbed her more than she would have cared to admit. End of chapter 10.